This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense today. This is obviously the more difficult part of the conversation after this Steelers game, but here to make this a little easier is Gordon McGinnis of PFF. Gordon, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on again, Ken. Uh, always a pleasure to talk football with you, Gordon. One of my uh, one of my good friends and and a uh, a, a great football analyst uh, uh, who's been with PFF now for how many years? I, I think it's like ten plus at this point. In fact, it must be because I remember. So I, I'm heading to my first Ravens game this Sunday for the first time since the divisional round went over the Broncos, and that was my last. So I was only part time at PFF then. I became full time that summer. So, um, yeah. It's, uh, okay. So you were at the Mile High Miracle game and all that nasty coldness. I was. Okay. I actually, I actually missed the Mile High Miracle itself though because it was so cold, um, and I'd held on to a pee for like two hours, and the Broncos scored, and I was like, okay, you know, they've probably lost now. I need to go, and so I went down to the bathroom. And as I was queuing, just heard the groans of Broncos fans around me and was like, oh, wait a minute, something good's happened. <laughs> well, that's a good story. I, I had not heard that before. But, <laughs> but I'd be I'd be happy to miss that on a bathroom break, too, if it had happened to me. So that yes. was, uh, was good. Uh, we had a nice time walking out of the stadium, grabbing a bunch of programs there that were still left at the door. Uh, but anyway, a, a great, great game anyway. Obviously, the closest I ever came to frostbite. Uh, yeah, was was that game? So, uh, the the actually so the game I went to before that was the year before the Billy Cundiff AFC Championship game, mm-hmm. and when I left that stadium, so this was the first time I'd ever uh, come across a game of American football not in September, and the East Coast of America in September is nice and warm. It's warmer than it is here in the UK. I just kind of assumed that the East Coast of America would be similar temperature wise to Scotland in January. <laughs> It's much, much colder. And uh, so I wore like Converse All-Star trainers. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the game, genuinely the first half of my feet from toes to middle of my feet couldn't feel them. Wow. Yeah, and it takes a while and then they go back and they itch for a while. And then they come yep. in. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nasty process of, of coming back from that. Anyway, those uh, those New England playoff games, we, we got in a nasty story about every <laughs> single one of them, but, but uh, wouldn't have missed them. Uh, so anyway, the Ravens, Dropped a, a very big opportunity here to take a commanding lead in the in the AFC North. 
one of the things that that is bothersome to me is how the injured player returns really didn't pan out. And they didn't pan out in a way that these guys almost seem like they're not ready to be on the field. What did you think yeah. about so the, the big four, OBJ, Stanley, Humphrey, and Williams? Give me your thoughts. Yeah. The, so in order of uh, like value in terms of them being back on the field, despite his struggles, I think, especially when you consider the injury to McCarry, they, they needed Stanley back there just as, you know, even at, at the stage he was. Um, Odell Beckham, I don't think, is ready um, to be back. Certainly didn't look that way. He left during the game. Marlon Humphrey obviously wasn't ready because they were rotating him in and out. Um, and he held up pretty well, all things considered, I think. Like, gave up a couple of plays right up until the end. And the mm-hmm. you watch the All-22 of that last play. He keeps with Pickens pretty well but he obviously just doesn't have great long speed right now coming back from this injury. Yep. So that's a concern. And Marcus Williams, I, Geno Smith's playing too good football just now to, to have Marcus Williams on the field if he's playing like that. Exactly my thoughts. So Geno Stone, way, way too good to, to be losing. Field. He only played like 19 snaps in this game. So Williams missed three, and then they played 16 snaps with Hamilton up front and nickel where he, he got on the field that way. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that they'll go to uh, an exclusive nickel. I think it makes a lot of sense going to London and facing Henry to have Hamilton at the nickel uh, all the time, in addition to, to, to what he gives you there. And I, I kind of agree with your comments also, by the way, on Stanley, but it is really Stanley versus a traffic cone. Stanley did not play well in this game. Grade, grades out terribly in my system. I saw he didn't have a good grade at PFF either. Um, but the truth of the matter is, that the next guy up at left tackle, it might be John Simpson or somebody. Yeah. If if uh, he'd have been out, or actually Simpson probably I guess would have been at right tackle and and maybe Falele. <laughs> yeah, tackle, it, that would have been that's yeah, and that that would be even worse given how he played it, how he played it right tackle. I I think the interesting thing from from Stanley is obviously like there's long term issues there. Like earlier this season, I thought he looked better than he did. So hopefully it's just a case of he just maybe needs to get back up to to speed a little bit. It's also of all the opponents, you know, when the the Ravens played the Browns a couple of weeks ago, of all the teams to go against when you're making your first start right. um, as a fifth round rookie, the Ravens are probably one of the worst. Highsmith and Watt are pretty tough edge defenders to go up against when you're not fully healthy. Yeah, yeah, they they, they certainly are. It is a it's a tough pairing, and they they did not. Um, let up on the Ravens in terms of pass rush. There's a lot of five-man rush, not a lot of four um, in, in a relative sense, which is which really puts a lot of more island pressure on their individual uh, players. It also should give Lamar some additional opportunities to make plays against the defense, but, uh, uh, but that obviously not all those opportunities were converted. Uh, you know, right now, I, I'm certainly hoping like hell that Stanley recovers and, and becomes, a, you know, a, a fraction of the player he was in 2019. This guy was on pace to be a Ravens Hall of, you know, Ring of Honor player. And really disastrous what's happened, you know, since the injury in 2020. Um, where are you? I mean, his, his contract has about an $8 million out next year, meaning they, they save about $8 million a cap if they cut him next year. What do, you, what do you need to see from Ronnie if you're Eric DaCosta right now to make sure you keep him on the roster for next year? I think you need to see him get back to – to where he was at the start of the season, um, in the you know the first time when when we saw him play this year, I, I, him getting back to and and I mean kind of purely as a 
as a pass blocker in that sense. Now he's he's never been a dominant run blocker. Like that's not his strength. He's more of a kind of finesse. Strange word to use for an offensive lineman, but he's a he's a finesse type of tackle. Um, but they need to get back to to that point where they can trust him as a pass blocker, um, because right now they can't. This was the first week that I found myself looking ahead to the NFL draft next year and thinking, like tackle in round one might not be a bad a bad idea. Very least, I think they're probably going to have to look to draft tackle earlier than they have you know, in recent years. Um, they, they at least need to start looking at um, backup plans, I think, at this point. Very difficult. I mean, they, they obviously they thought they had a developmental tackle on Falele, and I think that's not going to work out on the left side. And, and he might be okay on the right side at some point, but just looking at the guy lumber around, he doesn't have the feet, I don't think, to mirror on the left side at, at this point. But if they find a second-round left tackle – they did that many years ago with Kalechi Assembly. And he was a guy who started at right tackle, moved to right guard during the playoffs that year, then eventually moved to left tackle for the Ravens. Maybe there is a multi-year guy there that that people overlook. It's just left tackle traits are so highly prized in the draft. You, you Everybody ends up at the position ends up being overdrafted. I can't even say it's an overdraft because, look, the position obviously is so scarce in terms of people who can actually play it now in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, and we saw it this year of you know teams moving up to to find tackles and things like that. So that's the position they kind of put themselves in. It's not, it's just you don't find uh, you know suitable left tackles out there for reasonable deals in free agency. They don't come available in free agency too often. The interesting thing here is, like, you have to accept he's not going to be a top twenty left tackle in the NFL. I think Patrick McCarry is probably like a 20 to 32 left tackle in the NFL. Like, and that's not, so that's not great. And it would, you would always be worried going into games against top quality edge defenders, but it is a lot better than, you know, Daniel Falele playing left tackle right now. Right. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that, obviously. And and they, one of the issues is they really don't have a fourth guy right now on the roster who, you know, even could sniff left tackle uh, at this point. It might be Salah, and Salah is completely unprepared to step on an NFL <laughs> field at this point. I mean, he's, he showed that in the preseason, I think, very Yeah, yeah. Clearly. That's, that is a capital D developmental prospect at this yeah. point in time, I think. Yeah. It still, it still blows my mind he's active for a game because they're – managing their injury list in such a way that they have that many walking wounded early this yeah, as, yeah. as a ninth offensive lineman. Yeah. All right. So the defense dominated this game. They, they more or less, I thought, put it on a silver platter for the offense to win about five different times. And uh, the offense certainly frittered it away with some missed opportunities, with some drops, a stupid, you know, snap of the football uh, that shouldn't have been in the cards at all uh, in terms of, of what you did. Where does this put you? You know, you've seen this loss to the Colts. You've seen this loss to uh, Pittsburgh in this game. Do you have fears that this team is not good enough to win the AFC North based on what we've seen other other places in the division? This this might be this might be a completely unhinged take, but as much as they lost this game, I think it is a reasonable statement to say that I came away from that game higher on the Ravens' offense than I have any other game this season because so i tweeted this a little bit ago and it was in response to like a dan orlovsky 
tweet about the Ravens drop passes. The passing game up until the catch point was by far the best it's been all year. Lamar, and, and I think Lamar's been good kind of throughout the year and he's got better as the year's gone on. But they developed as a downfield passing offense. They passed the ball almost as much beyond 10 yards in this game than they'd done all season before. I think it was 29 versus 20 or something like that. And the ball was there. They had so many opportunities. And drops are a little bit random, right? Like players, there are players who are more, more prone to drops, but the occurrence of drops and how often they happen in individual games and stuff is a bit random. If they play this game a hundred times, they probably only get that drop outcome two or three of those times, right? Mm-hmm. The last time they had this many drops, Lamar Jackson hadn't even taken a snap at Louisville. That's how long it's been since they dropped this many passes in the game, I think. Um, so sometime in the early 2000s, to, or sorry, to, in the early 2010s, rather. Yeah, 2014, I think, I think was the, I think, I think it came from us. One of our guys tweeted out that, that out as a stat. So like everything else in terms of the, the passing game, and they had their struggles in pass protection towards the end, but the actual getting back and throwing the ball part look good. Um, so I, I feel like this offense has been kind of like slowly ramping up and this would have been the game where they put up a lot of points. It didn't happen because of the drops. This offense is going to explode. The passing offense is going to explode against someone. I don't know if it's Tennessee this week or if it's when they get to the harder part of their schedule where they have to keep up with more teams. But the way Lamar Jackson's playing right now, like the opportunities are there in the passing game. I'm loving it. I'm, you're not unhinged to me. I, I think that's a, that's a great take on this. So I, I, seriously, I do think that there's nothing about this game. In, and I'll go to the other side of the ball and I'll say the defense. I don't know what you what you could want more out of the defense and what they offered up in this game. And the only time they they really gave up the big play, they got away from what has been their only defensive look of the year, which is basically cover two. They they show it to you anyway, basically to start almost every single play. And then they could, they do different things. They do match up, and every once in a while, a safety comes up the line of scrimmage. But it's basically cover, a, a, you know, a cover two shell all the time, where they where they'll be playing off that somehow, and daring you basically to throw the ball deep. If you you throw the ball deep, I'm going to be there. I'm going to pick it off. Well, of course, not only did they not have a two high shell, they had a zero high shell on that play, and put Humphrey on an island against Pickens and said, uh, "I dare you to throw it to him." And sure enough, easy easy pitch and catch, and take it in. Uh, so two, my two thoughts on that one I don't think Kenny Pick is a particularly good quarterback but that's a couple of years in a row now whereby he's looked at his very best in like the dying moments of games and uh, it's either really unfortunate for the Ravens or he maybe is just someone who things maybe slow down a little bit for him when it's like you don't. You need to stop thinking. You just need to drop back and do this. Do this simple thing. It, it th- helps when you get when you pick up a six man pressure with yes. no with an ample Ex- time and space opportunity. Exactly, and and he knew as well. Like when he when he looked at the Ravens defensively on that play, he knew where that ball was going. Like mm-hmm. it it wouldn't have mattered. Like I said, Humphrey's coverage for like about fifteen to twenty of those yards was fine. It was after that the ball's already out at that point. He knew he was throwing it up. But the the interesting thing on the Ravens side for me, I. I'd be curious on your thoughts on this as well. I My assumption was the reason why they lined up the way they did was because at that point, the Steelers were so on the verge of field goal range that they were like, we need to try and, we need to try and cause them to lose a couple of yards. And they probably just got 
you know, outcoached a little bit in that sense that the Steelers probably knew that that's what they were thinking and just decided this is the time to go deep. That is exactly, exactly what I've been saying last night on the on the defense pod and whatnot is that is that they were in a position where they were forced to gamble. It's not a bad gamble. If it works out, you're going to love it. it. Didn't work out. You hate it. Um, it's actually funny. I mean, I was at a bar. You know, we're just about to go into the Oriole game. And so I'm at a bar and I'm watching the end of this and I, I see Pickens go in and I'm the only one going crazy. I'm like, yes, it's great. Pickens just made a huge error. Yep. And it's the same error that the Chicago player Mooney or whoever it was who caught the touchdown pass a couple of years ago that actually gave a game back to the Ravens that they would have lost if he'd gone down. Uh, incredible. Incredible. So you think you're thinking the same thing in, in real time? Yeah. I, I was sitting watching it and I was so like <clears throat> there was my two primary thoughts during the game. Like I realized about halfway through that game how the game was going to go at the end. Like mm-hmm. it, it just felt entirely painfully obvious, like comedic value um, to that it was going to happen in the most ridiculous way possible. They were going to lose the game just after all the opportunities. But as soon as Pickens scored, I was like, okay, but now the Ravens actually can go and tie the game before they were in position whereby they couldn't do anything. And then the Steelers then made another mistake, obviously, when yep. they had the uh, illegal, illegal formation. formation, when they when they tried to kneel the ball and, you know, just there, there's similar to the Colts game. And this is probably why I'm not that bothered about the loss when I think about the rest of the season. Not, not in a vacuum. Every loss in a vacuum sucks. But when you think about the rest of the season, both of their losses this season haven't really changed my overall belief in how far they can go because they shouldn't have lost either game. And each game has a handful of plays that went against them that you only need like one or two of those to go back and you're probably only one in each of those games. Uh, like so many in this, you can just think very quickly, those happen, the Ravens win this game. Some of them, some of them, they win by two, three touchdowns if they go their way early in the game. Some right. of them, they just win by eight at the end. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't give up that touchdown at the end if they catch either of those two touchdown passes consecutively, for instance, earlier in the game. So uh, I just, I, I, at a loss on this. It's uh, let's move on. Uh, it, it, Ravens outsnapped the Steelers sixty-seven to sixty-five in this game, sixty-seven to sixty in terms of high effort snaps because there were five kneels by the Steelers in one football game, which is hard to believe. Um, one of the things I've been really concerned about the last three weeks is how sharply the series success rate has dropped. So they're only getting a first down about sixty-eight percent of the time now with the last three weeks. That's more information, obviously, than we had from the first two weeks when we were really excited because they were converting 79% to first downs or touchdowns, obviously, that that would mean. Uh, I, I look at their red zone success, and I say, even at the current level, and it did drop off a little bit, they're 13 out of 18 now. That's probably not sustainable. It's a, it's a good offense, but I don't think they're they're right at the top of the National Football League, which, which is what 72.2% would be. Uh, they're 44.4% as a point of reference last year, they need to pick up a lot in other areas of offense in terms of efficiency, I would think, to catch up, to 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 maintain their current level of scoring. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think the it's going to be interesting to see because how much of that from this week was caused by drops and you know the, all those lapses and things like that. Because the regression from the red zone efficiency is def like this was a prime example of that's what happens. Like it was never going to be sustainable the success they were having. But 
what you have to do is extend the the other part. It's like mm-hmm. a little bit if you're if you're selling a product to someone and you and you convert to sales at an abnormally high rate, you know, you have to accept the fact that that's going to drop because you're not going to maintain that. What you need to do is you need to how do you widen that funnel at the bottom, and that's what they have to do now is the the base level of the offense has to has to lift up a little bit. Yeah, there you go. That's a that's a good sales uh, way of thing. So you're thinking you're thinking of these ten three one sales things, ten you know calls gets you three meetings, gives you one sale kind of thing. Yeah, uh, this, that's that's like an insurance concept. Is that something that you didn't learn it from the insurance business, right? Some other element of sales. Uh, yeah, so less so sales wise. Like in my role now, like we talk a lot about page views and like how we get people on to subscribe okay. and stuff like that. And there's always like a there's always like a debate over. You know, like if you're locking down an article versus unlocking an article on like a subscription-based website, mm-hmm. you get less people in the locked article versus the unlocked article. The unlocked article, you have to be able to push someone to a tool or something so they subscribe, whereas the locked article, you know, the article itself is the tool and you're trying to get them to. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where it made me think of it. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Um, defense was less overworked, obviously, in this game. Uh, the problem was that, that in the second half, they, the offense only had 24 snaps. So very un, not worked at all hard in the first half, but in the second half, the, uh, the, the 24 offensive snaps, they didn't have a single drive longer than five plays in that second half, just a nightmare of an offensive second half. Uh, one of the things I'm noticing in particular is that Pierce and Matabike are being way way overutilized on this defensive line. And right there, you can see where two of the Ravens' biggest injury risks are when you're overusing two guys that much. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's the, I don't know, the issue is like, you've got Broderick Washington, who I think has flashed and and, and made some plays there. Um, Travis Jones, I, I don't even know what his snap count was in this game, but like, I feel like, yeah, Jones. What we haven't like twenty two snaps in this game. That sounds right. I'll, I'll bring it up here, but I, I thought he played pretty well in this game. Uh, he's in the backfield a couple times, and you know, not outstanding or anything, but but well enough. But yeah, yeah, I do. I do think there's an opportunity there to raise the raise the floors a little bit when it comes to Jones and and Washington, and keep Matabike and Pierce a little a little fresher. Yeah, they, they don't. One of the things that's keeping their snaps high is the fact they don't have an outside linebacker that they can kick inside on third down. So the, the Ravens way for many years, of course, was you have three outside linebackers on the field and you rush nickel and, and you end up with a, a lighter workload. It used to be Calais Campbell was the only one who got overworked. Uh, and now not only are they playing Pearson Matabike on most third downs, but they're also dropping him into coverage. A lot. <laughs> and it's just been really weird to see. So uh, anyway. Uh, we're, we want to get back and talk about some offense here. Uh, we talked about the red zone efficiency, 25 run, 38 pass in this game, primarily a choice. Uh, not, not, it's not always a choice, but this game, they did have the choice. Do we want to move the ball on the ground? Do we want to move the ball in the air? Because the game script was not dictating it to them one way or the other. How'd you feel about it? There there were, oper- I, I am, I am very rarely the person who says run the ball more, but there were, there were opportunities for them to, to, kind of control the game clock a little bit better especially at the end i thought the the sequence the sequence uh that led to the interception by joey porter jr um run the ball in first down great 
I think they got a little bit unlucky on the shovel pass to Mark Andrews. Quan Alexander mm-hmm. does a really good job coming off of Justice Hill there. Yeah. But that being said as well, like, you know, run it there. You're going to take the same amount of time off the clock. I then, that that loss, I think, is what pushed them into the, the end zone fate. Um, and to be honest, it, with the benefit of hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. You could run the ball on, you know, from the six-yard line, five-yard line, wherever it was they had the ball in that third down. You obviously don't often run the ball on third and goal from the five-yard line because your chances of getting in the end zone are pretty slim. But you could either have, you know, let's say you get close, you have the opportunity to go for it in fourth, or, you know, you're then kicking a field goal, but you're also taking another 40 seconds off the clock. So I think they kind of overthought it a little bit in that sense. Um, and then throughout the game as well, like I think the running game, it's difficult because there were also some blown up plays as well, which is tough. You don't like putting yourself in second along, um, but they ran the ball well. I think I was surprised that Lamar Jackson didn't get more design carries, um, given that there was especially like the, right at the very start of the game, he had some success picking up a lot of yards. So. Yeah, he was effective. I, I I like your thought in there because, well, for starters, I, I hate allowing a four-down field goal drive opportunity. I hate a little bit less allowing a four-down touchdown opportunity to a mediocre quarterback with a mediocre offense. I think you know the Ravens had dominated the game defensively. They had not allowed a touchdown. And to, to ask them to defend 75 yards against Kenny Pickett is not unreasonable, even with four downs. Um, it, 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 any Defending field goal range against the worst quarterback in the league with four downs is just incredibly difficult for today's defenses. Yeah. I also think, like, even if you kick the field goal and the Steelers go down the field and score, if that game goes to overtime, you know, the offense that looked more likely to score throughout the game, maybe not at the end, but if that game goes to overtime, would, would it have gone to overtime at that point? No, no, they would have been five. So the Ravens, yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to think in my head. It was it that was the point where it was at. So it was they had two eight points. points. It was two yeah. points, yeah. So you wouldn't again, yeah. So I think you're less likely they're gonna drive the drive the field for a touchdown at that point them getting into field goal range, as we saw on the ensuing drive anyway, wasn't that difficult for them to do. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that's obviously a, a, a bad thing. Okay. Anyway, uh, Lamar ran the ball only six times. Three of those were designed runs, so they didn't really try a lot with that. For you. Are, are you a militant on either side of that argument? There should be less or should be more Lamar designed runs? I, yeah, I, I, well, no, I don't think I'm militant either way on it. I, I think Lamar runs. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the ball, be it scrambles. I almost think like this, this scramble part of it should be like a partial design whereby like you're trying to get him in a position whereby he can easily scramble for five, six yards. And I think they do that relatively well at points. But like I, I just, I can't eliminate him as a designed runner. He's too good. You know, some of the stuff, especially when you think about like the motion and stuff they've used, the, the Browns game where they scored from 10 yards out, he would have scored from his own one yard line on that play because the, the level of athlete he is, if you, if you can get him in the open space, you know, he can score from anywhere. So you just, you can't eliminate that. I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I thought a lot of the, the talk this off season was way too far in the other direction. And I, and I don't, there's nothing I see about the way Lamar is playing that he's not enjoying still running the ball as much as he is now. Uh, you know, and, and maybe he would like to run eight to nine times a game instead of, 15 to 18 as he was in his rookie year, say, but I can understand why they, the, uh, uh, the Ravens still want to include him in the offense. And, and I'm, I'm actually fairly gratified by the current, not complete reversal of the Ravens offense. Cause we, we have to see a effective run offense as part of, of what's going on in order to close out games at a minimum. Um, and, and then, you know, it's great to also see some passing. It's great to see some vertical spread of the field as well. But, uh, but that horizontal spread, I still want to see that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the the scheme and whatnot. Uh, we'll talk a little about snap division, maybe at running back first. Hill, the big uh, uh, man in the backfield with 39 snaps. Edwards with 30 and Drake with one. Really important to get Drake on the roster for this game, obviously. But it, it, seriously, I mean – it's almost at this point like Duvernay should be an emergency running back if they need one, and then you don't waste a spot on Drake. Maybe, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably fair. There's not a, there, especially when you had two running backs up that you knew they're going to get the bulk of the carries. You know, I, I would guess maybe in this game what they're thinking is it's like a tough AFC North battle if it turns into smash mouth football and you get injuries to to Edwards and Hill. You probably don't want Duvernay, you know, seeing a whole bunch of carries at that point. But yeah, it's not. There wasn't really a great need for Kenyon Drake to be elevated. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Last week, Gordon was activated over Drake, and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, this is this has got to be a moment of really extreme irony that one of the biggest fumblers of all time is being activated over Drake for his fumble that happened recently. <laughs> it really seemed like what it was. Yep. They're, they're done now with Gordon, as far as I understand, in terms of practice squad elevations. I believe Drake has one left, and Mitchell presumably will be back this week. He's already back practicing, so the window is limited. So I'm hoping certainly he'll he'll be back this week in London. Um, it would really be nice if they didn't have to go to either of these elder statesmen back again um, the rest of the season, and yet it never really works out that way. Yeah. I, if I had to guess, I would imagine Melvin Gordon – could wind up being cut in the coming weeks, depending on like from the practice squad or they leave him on the practice squad. 
but they would they would have to sign him to the active roster at this point. Mm-hmm. The way the season's gone so far, it really wouldn't surprise me if at some point the Ravens are down another running back or down two running backs, and you know late in the season they're calling him, not calling him up, they're signing him to the active roster, and it's a fifteen plus carry game for him. Just the way things these things work out. <laughs> Let's not even think about it. Uh, <laughs> A pretty good game from Hill. Four. I, I was really actually kind of surprised to look at the box score and see he had four to four for 13 receiving yards, even with that minus five at the end, because it seemed like he was m- forcing missed tackles pretty much the whole game. You guys have an MTF stat. What? What? Did the, I mean, I know he's he's among the Ravens leaders for the year. I think up there with Flowers probably. But what did you think yeah. about his game as a receiver? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like obviously the fumble is the is the key play, um, but he fits this offense as a receiver. Like, oh, there's more being asked of receiving backs in this offense than there was in the previous offense. I I think he fits the offense as a runner as well. Like he's a he's a good natural fit. I think Edwards is probably a better runner than we thought he would be in this offense. Um, but Hill as a receiver, he can make people miss. Um, you know that he consistently can cause problems for people. Um, you know, I, he, I think we have him with four missed tackles forced as a receiver, and I think he had one as a runner as well in this game. That's really good. Um, yeah, it's good, he's a good player. Like, I, I'm i I'm glad we're seeing more of him. Obviously, the reason why is because of the devastating injury for J.K. Dobbins, but I, I think he's a good he's a good kind of backup level NFL running back who can who can be a fringe starter. I think the, the fumble was just really um really unfortunate i do my initial take i didn't i haven't watched this again um on the all 22 but my initial take from broadcast was i think he made the wrong decision on his cut though i think there was an opportunity to go outside rather than back inside um and i think going inside obviously was like you make one guy miss you might score i think outside he probably picks up another 10 15 yards and then gets tackled I, I, I that was true. There's a there's a momentary hesitation to juke in level two there, um, that cost him time and allowed uh, uh, the Ogunjobi to to catch him from behind. Anytime a defensive lineman catches a running back from behind, is a fumble waiting to happen. Yeah. So you know that's always I, a and big it, risk. it was a it was a great play by Ogunjobi. Right? Yeah. He's punching entirely for the football. Like yeah. very frustrating, but um, yeah, the other team get paid to play as well. Unfortunately. Yeah, he's he's been a Ravens killer, that's for sure. Um, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about Lamar um, specifically. I, I just have some rush numbers here that the Steelers rushed five plus on twenty five out of the forty two dropbacks, and that's forty two dropbacks that resulted in a passer sack. It excludes the scrambles. Um, Ten of fourteen, uh, sorry, uh, he sixty percent uh, uh, anyway that they used a five plus man rush and they had a lot of success with that because the Ravens only had 101 yards on those plays. So it's 4.0 yards per play with a five plus man rush. The Ravens have faced a lot of four man rush to date this season, not exclusively the, the first team to the Browns. It came with a little bit more pressure in the second half of their game in terms of numbers. Um, but I'm a little afraid that the Steelers who, you know, a, a fairly traditional four man rush team, a lot of the time may have created a blueprint for what other teams are going to look and say, hey, wait a minute, Lamar doesn't really deal that well with extra band rushes, or maybe more accurately, their offensive line doesn't. Yeah, do you know? Um, do you know like how much of that was caused by the drops? Be the only thing I'd be curious on. Like, was that 
I'm not sure I so, understand the question. So say that again. So like when you're looking at the um, the yards per play on the on like the oh. five man rushes. No, I don't have that because <laughs> that that's one of those things whereby like yeah. if that if it includes the drops, then I'm probably less concerned. If it if it doesn't include the drops, like if the drops weren't on those plays, then it's it's more it's more concerned. Yeah. I will say though, given the given the state of their offensive line, they are not in a position to consistently win five one-on-one battles so if yeah. they are sending someone um with the injuries they've had they're not in a good position there so it wouldn't surprise me if teams regardless of success look at that offensive line and think that's the weakness of this offense right now and i can attack that by going rushing five i i, I don't know if you guys keep track of this or not but they had 17 set shot blocks and 17 chip blocks among 42 plays that's 0.81 per play total that is a significant concession to your receiving core to basically have 17 people stay in and 17 other people have a very limited route tree based on a chip block. You know, what the, what you can do off a chip block is very limited in terms of, of being a outlet receiver uh, really is about it. They weren't even really that success, successful. In fact, on the, on the final sack that Falele gave up, Hill completely whiffed on his chip block in a, in a yeah. miserable looking way. And actually that, got the next guy over. <laughs> that, that one was interesting, I thought, as well, because so Hill, I think, I, I think it was Matt Waldman I saw like tweet the video and kind of walk through it, whereby like he's not he's not blocking head up. So he's not looking where he's blocking. And I think that's fair. The only thing I would say in Hill's defense is I think he probably sets up thinking that Falele is at least going to push him wide. Yeah. And Fa- Falele... TJ Watt, again, knew the player he was going up against, used his size against him. He gets really low and just hangs right in tight against him to basically, he almost like avoided the chip just because he lent in and low on Falele and then was able to get around him on that. So it's tough. That is the Steelers way. I tell you going way back. Um, Harrison was a guy who always looked to to get the left tackle to put him in a necktie because he knew it'd either be a holding call or the guy would release. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a form of, of working off a... Uh, a double team where one guy has to leave. You always have that tackle at a disadvantage and, and Watt's very good at that. And unfortunately I think a good chip block would have really helped in that case to, to, to hold him up just a little longer, even if it, if it wouldn't have worked for uh, forever. And it's uh, it, it was a, a pretty, pretty significant miss there. Here's what I will say about if you're going to do that, if you're going to put running back in and you're going to have him chip, I know it's showing your hand a little bit, but in that key situation, would it have made more sense for that running back to actually be Pat Ricard, right? Like they're obviously going to know he's not going to run anything specific there, but like if there's a running back tight end on this roster that in that situation, I would have pro, especially given that it was Falele and it wasn't McCarry. And they, the fact that they were having just a sell chip tells me they knew that Falele probably isn't holding up on that himself. That's probably where I would have considered I either having him out there as a as a tight end, you know, and helping there, or just having him as the running back. And you, you know, I I kind of love the idea of having him as the running back because he was very successful, by the way, early in the game. It's they used a lot of tricks against Watt, but obviously lining up on the end of the line of scrimmage and shipping either Watt and a few times Highsmith was a big help to 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 try and slow things down. He did have a holding penalty on a run play, but in terms of the pass plays, he was very effective in terms of 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 getting chip blocks. But I really love the idea of him in the backfield and give you the opportunity, especially if you if you think the Steelers might bring a blitz, go ahead and dare him. 
and and, and set up with because those are the ones that usually end up with with M as for uh, M forty two as opposed to L or R forty two where they're where they're where he's going to one side and a player like Ricard, it, it the deeper set and the way that would disadvantage particularly from the off side of the pocket the um, the blocking running back would not nearly be as great for a man of Ricard's size. So he can even cross the quarterback, I think, and he can he can certainly stay on the same side and not be setting too deep such that Watt just kind of you know disengages with him immediately and is on the quarterback. Yeah. All right. Um let's see four man rush 17 for 109 6.1 yards per play. So there was a big difference between the four and the six obviously and we could we could you know, take a look at where the drops come in but it's it's a big base difference if there was a Normal distribution of those drops between the two, I agree. Uh, ATS, BOQ, and pressure. Lamar did have 14, so that's 33% ample time space opportunities in this game. It's actually quite a lot. Went 10 of 14 for 137 in this game, 9.8 yards per play. What really didn't go well is all the other opportunities. Even when the ball was out quickly, he was only 6 of 9 for 29 yards, uh, 3.2 yards per play. One interception among those plays, that horrible fade route, obviously. And then they got pressure 45% of the time, which is almost exactly the same as what the Ravens got, which I think was 46. Um, and on those play, Lamar averaged only 2.3 yards per pass. That's bad. It's not as bad as you might think. Um, but that is that is obviously to get 2.3 yards per play is is not good. And, and they sacked him four times among those plays. Anything you'd say about, about you know, basically Lamar getting the ball off on time or maybe Lamar's time to throw at 2.90? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because like time to throw quarterback to quarterback is a very different discussion. So like you'll see these numbers often like Joe Burrow's time to throw was really interesting at the start of this year because you could look at that number and say, okay, that's an offense that knows he's not fully healthy. They don't fully trust their offensive line. So we are designing this offense to get the ball out quick. And that very much points towards that. Lamar Jackson's never really going to be a quarterback where that overall number actually speaks to an overall view of the game. So like we, we do track it versus kept clean and under pressure. And when he was kept clean, it was like 2.7 seconds time to throw. When he was under pressure, it was 3.3. And that obviously includes scrambles, whether or not they break the puck, whether or not they break the um, line of scrimmage or, you know, he's just, moving around before he before he throws the ball away. So let me ask you a categorization of one play in particular. I believe it's the first play of the game, or it was one of the very early plays. Um, they booted him out, and they had Ricard actually chip Watt, I think, to the inside, booted him out right. Nice slow boot, but th- th- the defense was not on it like they like they usually are on the boot from, from Lamar. And he threw eight-yard completion, I believe, to Bateman on the right sideline. So do you consider that an, an a – kept a clean pocket or is it is it which which category does that go in for you guys i'd i'd need to double check but i'm pretty sure that would be viewed as kept clean i th- so it would be up to the point did he move beyond the beyond the rollout or did he kind of stop at that point was that where he 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 had he had boot, a, he definitely had a clean unchased rollout and a nice easy delivery so that so the the point of the point, the moment of truth was Ricard shipping Watt to the inside. So Watt tried to beat Ricard inside, and that basically meant he was kind of fooled on the play. Yeah. But I was just wondering how that, how you guys, if 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 there was a rollout, does that automatically recategorize it into the? You know. Yeah, yeah. So I'd I'd be pretty confident that would be categorized as kept clean. Like if it's a rollout, if it's if it's a rollout, it should be up until the point whereby 
pressure happens on the rollout, if you get what I mean. Like once okay. he's rolled out and someone like a like a cleanup pressure or a pursuit pressure. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, it's always good to understand how how people do things definitionally. Even when you, when you have different models, you still want to understand how how others work. Uh, I'm inter- one one play I'm interested in hearing about, and this is obviously one of the big disappointing plays. I, my guess is you guys probably didn't have it scored as a drop, but I don't want to speak for you. The, the, the fall down play for Flowers, and there's been some Ryan Mink put out a put out a video that says, "Oh, there's a lot of and, and Flowers claim there's a lot of drift on the ball from the wind," and you can kind of see it in terms of it being a a little bit of a flotation device of a football. Didn't land far enough away from him. I don't think that you can really take 100% of the blame off Flowers. But how, how did PFF grade that one? Yeah, so he gets a downgrade. He didn't get as much as it would be for like a standard bad drop, but he did get a small downgrade on the play. Um, I've looked at it like if I was grading it, I actually don't know that I would have downgraded him because so I didn't know the context of the ball floating. When I looked at it, I was like, that feels like Lamar hasn't put that into like a spot where he can go and win it. He's kind of put it in a spot and Flowers has to readjust. Um, you know, but the the footwork is something that yeah, you just you have to you have to have yeah, better footwork than that. And obviously he's got himself kind of caught up and tied up. And you know, one of those ten to fifteen plays that goes the other way, the Ravens win the game. Yeah. That uh it was a shame. Difficult to watch. I mean, you just kind of think gets you up out of your seat and screaming at the TV for no good reason. Oh, let's move on a little bit. So uh what else have we not talked about here? Um I guess I'm still I'm, I'm still concerned about the usage of Devin Duvernay. Um, they, they they did have a semi deep throw to him, is probably around 15 yards. Uh, he got a couple of hits on the play, one from a linebacker, I think, and I don't know who who hit him otherwise. Uh, one thing I noticed from the press box score in Pittsburgh, I don't know how often you look at game books and you kind of you can immediately understand what the guy is trying to do, but there were two PDs awarded on the play. And I've seen various things. Some people are very quarterback hit conscious or they don't understand the quarterback hit rules, particularly before they became an official statistic. And so they would be either had tons of, of quarterback hits some places and other places, they weren't even recording them. They weren't even recording them by, you know, they, they didn't know the rules, didn't know what it meant. Sometimes people thought if it just, if you just touch the quarterback, then that's a quarterback hit. So we, <laughs> I'll, I'll record it that way. But this guy seems to be, I want to see Pittsburgh have as many passes defense as possible within my scorebook. That's how I would define this guy. <laughs> the So going back to the hit thing, that's like a little bit of PFF history uh, as part of this. It might even still be. I'm just so far removed from this process now, but it used to be one of our um, like official checks after a game was done was that you would bring up the game book and you would uh, – I think it was either hit you could type in or you could use whatever the, the parentheses bracket is where it's like a yes. square one. Mm-hmm. You search and you find that and you go and you count through them. And there would be times where you would see it and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's a hit. We didn't we didn't see that as a hit because it wasn't, you know, we had to wait for the ultimate two. Mm-hmm. And there's other times where you'd look at it and there would be like five in a game and you'd be like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like why why are these being scored as hits because they're not and then you know I, so i think that was funny the, the other um past defense thing that's funny was the the drop one one of flowers drops in the game i i need to go back and check how we actually officially scored it i think 
I think we did score it as both a drop and a pass breakup because it's a drop by Flowers, Mm -hmm. but then there's actually the opportunity for him to regather it. And it's the play where he basically almost, not even almost, I think he gets punched in the face by TJ Watt. Um, But it effectively also is a pass breakup. Like the, the second part of it is a pass breakup. And it's one of those really weird plays where it's actually both. So it that was a, I don't know how that didn't get flagged with yeah. with with what he did on the play. It's just uh, unbelievable to me. But yeah, it was one of those things. I will say, go back to the quarterback head thing because there's a it, kind of an interesting story about this. In 2011, I think it was 2011, but actually might have been before then. Yeah, I, I think this, these are two different stories which kind of meld in together. But the, but the, but in in 2011 specifically in Pernell McPhee's rookie year. Um, I, I was tracking him and he was having a big year in terms of, 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 of what he was doing for the, for the Ravens that year and, and uh, had three quarterback hits in one game. And the original PFF uh, thing that, that had zero, zero quarterback hits, but that had to be where you're going back and look at him on the all 22. And then sometimes the all 22 will even betray you on that because the all 22 cameraman will be panning downfield. Uh, okay even elevating downfield because you're trying to get it from the end zone from the yeah. old 22. But, but, it, but it, sometimes they don't even give you that. Like it, it, they'll come off the bottom of the screen because the, because the, they'll, they'll, they won't be good. And it, it, it does sometimes help to have, have somebody in person at the stadium, like counting that quarterback hit. And generally speaking, I'd say if you can trust the guy who's, who's doing the game book, they're usually a better resource than some some other even all twenty two version if they know what they're doing the problem is a lot of them don't know what they're doing and from for a lot of years <laughs> in there you just you, you really had to check it but I'm interested that's that's great to hear that process was part of it so look for the bracket confirm the confirm the QH confirm the quarterback went down and then do that the the other thing is the non one for one correlation between quarterback hits and sacks is that a lot of people don't realize this but uh, we had one in this game was was the the strip sack is a sack but it's not a quarterback hit. And it's so almost all of sacks are also quarterback hits, but the quarterback has to go down for it to be quarterback hit. So there's also a way. Uh, do they still do this? Do, do they still do this for the double count pass defense and interception as the same? And there's no, some the the college and pro game do it differently. So the so the pro game it's a subset of interceptions. Interceptions are a subset of PDs. And the college game for whatever freaking reason, I just learned this <laughs> out this year with um, Emmanuel Forbes, it's 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 the the sum of the two is total passes defense. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, college football still can't figure out that sacks aren't rushing attempts. So <laughs> if you ever look up a college quarterback's rushing yards, uh, just remember that any sack he's taken is taken off that. There's something about that that's not completely wrong, by the way, but I would like it if we're scrambles plus sacks is what I'd yes. like. To, to yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. There's ways to break that down. They just, they don't. They kind of just decide that they they put it all together with no explanation. All right, I think we're just amusing ourselves <laughs> at this point here. Uh, you know, one thing that I didn't see happen in this game that I was really expecting was a lot of unbalanced line, and and they had played a lot in I think it's weeks three three and four or two and three. I may have it wrong. Um, in particular, when they had wanted to tuck Morgan Moses in uh, or tuck Falele in um, when he's on the on the right side to try and avoid um, getting him isolated on the edge. And I, I, I was a little bit surprised in this game, particularly after Falele came in, that they didn't go with, with much in the way of unbalanced line locks. They did have one, one unbalanced line the whole game. It'd be interesting to see if that, if the reasoning for that was something to do with who they had available at that point. Right. So like when you have Morgan Moses 
and you've got Ronnie Stanley, you've got the ability to put in uh, McCarry as your extra man or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Now, once you get down to McCarry's hurt, Morgan Moses is hurt. Like who who did who did they bring on as the un, who was the unbalanced lineman they used? No, it's it, not six. This is five unbalanced. So oh, okay. the, the, the the trick is you move you move your right tackle, your crappy right tackle, over on the left side, and you tuck him inside a Stanley. Yep. So he exits a you know a left tackle inside on that side. So they they did some six also. Don't don't get me wrong. They put Falele on the field. And they, t- they tucked him some even in a six man situation. But it's, but when it's when they've got five on the field and they're just doing five unbalanced left or right, then we've, we we uh, uh, you know we we didn't see that nearly as much as I would have expected. And yeah. I'm thinking if Falele is going to start this game in London, and I guess we'll find out fairly soon if that's going to happen by Wednesday's practice. Um, it, that's something they probably have to consider. Yeah, I think so. All right, Gordon, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Just a fountain of, of great knowledge and great inside uh, information on what's going on at PFF. But tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, you'll get me on uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter, uh, PFF underscore Gordon. Uh, I'm always happy to chat football with people. Um, I do it a lot more now. Like I had a couple of years there whereby I was over doing some other things at PFF and I wasn't as over football as I'd like to be. So I'm really enjoying this year being back to getting to talk more football. Looking forward to meeting you in person this weekend for the first time. We'll be in London and uh, hopefully have a chance to get together and at least have a beer before uh, before that game on uh, Sunday and uh, Sunday morning back here. But uh, but Sunday is a mid-afternoon game, like a 2.30, right? Yeah, 2, 2.30. It's nice. It, of, of all the games of the year, I get why Americans hate it because it's very early in the morning. It's fantastic for us. It's a, it's a great way to it, – it's like the perfect time in the afternoon as well because it, unless it goes to overtime, it finishes in enough time that you can do your final dinner prep before the, before the main game starts. So it's all timed very well for us. All right, very good. Uh, we'll be back for part two, but folks out there, if you want to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter and I will get back to you very quickly. Have some great ideas for, for new stuff that come in the last week and always looking for more. Gordon, thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much. Always glad. And we'll talk to you next time on film study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.